pretty much aware now about the stabbing deaths of the four college students. Uh, we thought we would dig into that a little bit today with FBI Special Agent Jonathan Gilliam. He has a great book called Out Sheep No More. I love the title of that book. And it's uh, he. when I've spoken to him in the past, he has pounded that into my head that you cannot be unprepared. Uh, now, he has some very interesting ideas about this patient, having about this individual, having been somewhat of a profiler himself, this Brian Koberger. He believes that he may have killed before. Jonathan uh, grew up in the Ozarks, and he graduated from the University of Arkansas, served as an undercover uh, agent for federal air marshals, and also served in the FBI as a special agent in the New York City office, crime and counterterrorism squads. So we're going to hear his thoughts on this gruesome event. I know there's a lot of so the true crime folks following this one around, we're going to see if we can understand what happened and what this what this profile is of a guy that could commit such an awful thing. Let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And of course, I, I left something off of Jonathan's bio. He was a Navy SEAL on top of everything else. And of course, a lot of his survival training was- Thank you for your service. Put to good use there. Uh, the Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. Caleb, why don't you throw that up there? I'm sure you can get that wherever you get your uh, buy books, Amazon and whatnot. Um, I think after I speak to uh, Jonathan, I may spend a little time at the end of the show, uh, some stuff I want to clarify. And I want to take some calls sort of on the vaccine front a little bit. Uh, but for now, let's bring Jonathan Gilliam right on in. Welcome. Good to see you again. Good to be with you, doctor. So where do we go with this case? Shall, shall we describe just briefly to people what, what happened and what this guy did in relation to the, the tragedy? Well, I think, you know, what's interesting is that we, and this, and you're going to like this from a, a psychological standpoint. By the way, I, I majored in political science and psychology. I have a double major, which means yep. uh, I don't really know a lot of anything when it comes to psychology or political science. I had to learn all that stuff <laughs> separately in the Bureau and uh, watching people for basically 20 years. And I think what, what's interesting about this guy is it very quickly, as opposed to the past, um, somebody with this type of a personality uh, his behavior before and after, uh, we know that the, the, the society knows that because it's so, it's just been out there so much. And even the bits that we've gotten in the affidavit tell so much about this guy before and after he did this attack. And I think when, when, uh, you look at, at what he did and what he carried out that day and the way that he did it, we have, uh, evidence of him actually doing, not quite to that extent, but in Pennsylvania at a brewery where he would go, uh, we know at least of that place where he would go and he would stalk women and ask them questions that were so odd. His behavior was so odd that uh, they actually had warnings for all. When he would scan in with his license, they had warnings that would come up on the computers for the bartenders uh, to watch out for this guy because he was so odd. And when they confronted him, 
The manager confronted him. He uh, denied it, of course, and then he left, never came back. So I think first and foremost, what we see with this guy is that the, that night when he did these brutal killings, it was very fast, very fast. He got in there, and I think there was some turmoil going in there uh, with the one girl who just got in a door dash and the other girl who recognized him, and he did what any predator uh, that's not on the, the highest hierarchy of, of uh, predators, he got out of there as fast as he could. When things didn't go his way, um, or up to the point where things didn't go his way, he was killing. But then when he was discovered, he got out of there. He ne- and, and so his behavior before shows us kind of his mindset. And then afterwards, I think he was having a, a oh crap moment where um, he realized he left his uh, nice sheaf behind. Uh, and then uh, he was trying to change the license plates on his car. And then he got out of there with his dad. I think he was um, really starting to uh, realize that he was in a, a really bad situation. He was going to get caught probably. So I got a bunch of questions. I, first, I'm going to clarify what you meant by the highest hierarchy of, of killer. That, that right. sounds something I'm familiar with. What is that hierarchy? So, so that's, that's something that I came up with because in, in the book, I talk about predators. And if you look at a lion and a lion has just killed something and you disturb that lion, it, it is going to look at you and either come at you or it's just going to stand its ground. But if, like I live in Arizona, so if you see coyotes and they're killing something and you come up on them with a flashlight, they're probably going to scamper away. Or if you see a child who goes in and is told not to get cookies out of a cookie jar and they're in there and they get caught, they're going to deny it. They'll just, they'll lie right to you, you know? So I think there's a hierarchy of this predatory scale. This is my own scale of how these predators react. And um, a, a good example of that, if there was a, in New York City, a couple of, uh, it was about six months ago, I believe, there was an FDNY lieutenant, I think she was female, coming out of a deli, and a guy knocks her down on the ground, jumps on her and stabs her. There's people walking up, cars driving up. He looks at him just like the lion and just keeps stabbing her until he's done, and then he leaves. So you see a difference here between somebody who doesn't want to get caught and somebody who either wants to get caught or doesn't care. And so in the case with mass shooters as well, uh, they will stay in their ground and end up killing themselves because they want to get, they want to be seen. They want to be seen as dominant. This guy wants to be seen as dominant, but he wants to be seen in secret over the people that he can be dominant. And then if he gets caught, he's out of there. And there were, in addition to the odd behavior at the bars, I heard that he, um, in class with someone who generally was sort of intrusive and asked a lot of questions, except about the Idaho mur- murders when that came up in the classroom. I saw that. And then number two, that he seemed, people reported him seeing less uptight after the murders, like calmer. Is that something uh, usual from guys like this? Yes, because he he is, so here's the dilemma that he's in right now. I think he he realized that there's a chance he could get caught he knows that the girl saw him, um, and so he's worried about that. But at the same time, he is satiated. And once that satiation occurs, I guess it would be the same, you know, I'm trying to think of what I could use as an example. But if you wanted to, if you wanted something, you know, I think drug addicts probably go through this a lot where they uh, crave the drug, they know it's bad for them, um, and then when they actually uh, get their fix, then there's a couple of moments, a moment where they get the high, 
a moment where they uh, probably feel somewhat bad about what they did. And then after that, they reflect on that satiation. And that that's what leads them to doing it again, is that they run how good that was. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, these psychopathic, narcissistic, Machiavellian types of people, um, he's probably uh, totally satiated and fixated on that at the same time where you and I would be losing it because we got caught. This guy, um, that's kind of in the background of his worry. He's maneuvering because he knows that, that doing something wrong will get him in trouble, but it's not ethically based. It's uh, whether or not he can continue to do the things that he wants. You mentioned drugs here, and we know that he had a history with heroin, which I find weird. I, I've never seen drug addicts, so I've never known a drug addict to engage in this kind of behavior. Is, is Do you think, I'm just wondering what, what the relationship is between substance. Obviously, meth addicts will do crazy things and kill people, but that's in sort of an impulsive manic state. But I don't see the cold-blooded Machiavellianism associated with drug addiction per se, or am I just not getting exposed to that? No, I, I don't. I don't really see that either, and I don't think that this was related to his drug addiction. I think his drug addiction was related to uh, what happened to him when he was young. He, it appears that I mean, he's obviously got parents because his dad drove all the way to Washington or flew to Washington State, got in a vehicle that he knows, unless he lives in a cave, that law enforcement is looking for fifteen minutes from where these murders occurred, and still got in the car and drove with him back to Washington State. I mean, doting parents, uh, if you take a person who's very, very bright and you have parents that dote on them, and then they have this other traumatic experience like he was fat and he was bullied and these types of things happened, I think the heroin addiction probably came from him dealing with these types of things, but uh, the heroin addiction was just a temporary fix. And I think somewhere along there, along the way, he had this deviation where killing or dominating and uh, some type of thing was coming out as he lost weight, that got more uh, and more profound in his life. And that's why I don't think that drugs would really solve his issue. He may get a high out of it, but his desire is domination and potentially to kill. And I think that goes, what you see with uh, a lot of these serial killers they have, uh, they've had substance abuse problems, but that is, I think we found one thing that does not, uh, that, or that heroin can't fix or can't give you enough right. of a high, which is taking right. a human life. Um, and if that's your desire, you're, you're going to eventually do that. That it, it's, I, I don't, you know, in my world, I don't deal with criminals. So this is always, in, in the criminal, criminality is a, correct me if I'm wrong, but I experience at least as a separate phenomenon from mental health issues. They, they cross over, they coexist together, but criminality per se has its own sort of logic to it, let's say, or good experience associated with it. And uh, do, do we think, other than character problems, personality disorders, dark triad, do we think there's anything else going on with this guy? You said trauma, like something happened in childhood. It makes me wonder if some of this dominating kinds of uh, behavior is really directed towards women and the men just get taken out incidentally. That, that could be, but I, I will say this one thing about, you know, 
I always tell people when they have a hard time perceiving the way that this individual thinks and kind of getting in that mindset. Um, so we'll take your specialty. You know, you deal a lot with people with drugs where you talk to other people and they say, how could somebody do a drug to the point that it ruins their lives or makes their teeth fall out uh, or causes huge sores on their body, but yet they're still using a needle to shoot up between their toes. I mean, a lot of people would be like, how could you do that? You know, but I think when, yeah. um, you know, when you put yourself in their position, uh, drug addicts, a lot of the times are trying to escape something or they're just having a good time partying and they get stuck in that, um, that lethal, uh, free fall of behavior and, and chemical, uh, addiction. I think with this guy, and we see this with Jeffrey Dahmer, we see this with uh, Ted Bundy, with a lot of these people, is that we, it may not be that easy to pinpoint where that switch was. Whereas with a drug addict, we can go back and say, well, you know, they had a terrible relationship with their father, were raped when they were a child, and they got introduced at one point where they got introduced to a drug, and boom, we can trace the addiction back to that. Um, yeah, the problem yeah. is the, you know, the rape. But with, with these people, um, a lot of the times, uh, I think they just have a predatory nature. And when you get the mix of all these things just right, um, it, it, it's, a, it's just a darker desire. It's not so much of an addiction as it is their physical desire. I like women. Uh, the guy likes to kill women. I mean, so that, that is his, that becomes his, some people it's sexual, some people it is just pure domination. And it's it kind of replaces that sexual urge. We we I know the um, the Green River Killer. I think that's who it is. Well, this has happened with several people, but you know where they have killed women and went back and had sexual relations with their dead and decomposing bodies because they could relive. It wasn't as much as the sex as it was the domination. And I think what we'll see with this guy is. When they get into there, if, into the uh, interviewing and interrogating, if he decides to confess uh, so that he can get a plea or something like that, you're going to start to see a guy that plays games with law enforcement, and then he starts to relive what he did uh, through this whole uh, fame game. And uh, I, I foresee that happening quite potentially. That's and, frightening. Yeah, it's wild. And you see, and you also suggest that he has uh, done this before. I would think, you know, I, I, I don't know of any, I mean, I can think back on a few people, maybe the, the Mansons, uh, there might've been one or two people in there, uh, that whole Manson group that had never really um, killed before. And then that one night they killed, you know, several people. So there, these instances do happen, but typically when somebody does this big of an attack, um, they have killed before and this is an ex escalation. So they couldn't get any more uh, fulfillment from just killing one person. That's why they, they start off with bullying or, or doing some type of um, Machiavellian, uh, Machiavellian um, type of, uh, what's the word I'm trying to get here, where they're, they're very sadistic in the way that they manipulate people. So at first it's manipulation. And then it turns into yeah. uh, power where they'll kill an animal or hurt an animal. And then they'll go over to where they'll manipulate people more and hurt them mentally. And so there's this escalation of what their desire tells them that, that they need. I mean, we see the same thing with addiction to porn, 
where people go from you know just turning on a, a, a it escalates computer and looking yeah. at certain things yeah. it escalates no you're right and, and it, it it makes me wish and wonder at the same time that we have a better neurobiological explanation for this because it has a has a flavor uh, of those of behavioral addictions and oftentimes what what throws sort of the rocket fuel on the behavioral addictions is previous chemical addiction so it becomes more and more difficult to get the satisfaction of the behavioral addiction so they come in at a pretty high level and then it escalates from there so the heroin sort of blunts some of you know permanently blunts some of the satisfaction it makes me wonder if that had some role in what's going on here it's very odd it's very bizarre it, it is so hard to get my head around i know for you it's like me with addiction like i i get it and for the what you're going to say i'll let you i'll let you ask jonathan well i i think you know when it first of all when it comes to criminals as strange as it may sound um just like somebody wants to get up in the mornings um and have a cigarette and for somebody like me i'm a health guy um, I couldn't even imagine that desire at all, you know, but people do that. Yeah. That's the first thing they think about. Yeah. Um, some people think about porn more than they think about going out with somebody. They, they're they addicted to porn. And I think with somebody yeah. like this, what's interesting is that as, as dangerous it is, it just happens so rarely that the, uh, the, the entire um, psychological community doesn't really look at this. And, and, I got to tell you, Dr. working around um, criminals uh, for many, many years and watching people in all these different career fields and functioning as a trained killer, as a Navy SEAL, one thing that I've seen is that, you know, people will get themselves into a position, they'll deviate and they'll go down a road where they will literally wake up in the mornings and think, how am I going to, you know, go about uh, killing this person or shaking this person down for money, you know? There's it be where they wake up. It's like Lex Luthor and Superman. Superman wakes up to see what he can do good. Lex Luthor wakes up to see what he can do bad. And that actually exists in the world. And when you add to that a psychological deviation, um, they go down some very dark paths where they have no conscience at all, no empathy, no concern about life at all. Do they do they concern have concerns about their own well being, or do they just not even care about that? They, they do, but in a different way, whereas, you know, you, you have an ethical concern about how you are, how you are to other people. You're concerned about, you know, you're, you understand that you could get hurt or that if this occurs, you're going to go to jail and your life will be over. I think you look at Bernie Madoff. He's a perfect example. Bernie Madoff um, really didn't have any concerns about uh, anything except not getting caught because it wouldn't allow him to do that. And then when he did get caught, he went to jail and he became a superstar in jail. You know, up until he died, he was the guy who did everybody's taxes and gave everybody uh, financial advice. And he, they said he, he reveled in that. So these people do not look at life the same way that we do. It's much more animalistic. And I think what it basically comes down to is somehow, some way, the human part of who we are has taken a backseat to the animalistic person that we are. Yeah, you you've brought up animal sort of models a couple of times, and it, I, I find it sort of chilling. It's and so it really it suggests a certain part of the brain is sort of shut down, which we do know happens in psychopathic personalities. So it is sort of that confluence of psychopathy and trauma and the right kind of parents. What do you think is going on with that dad? Speaking of the right kind of parents, that he 
Does he think he's saving his son from being caught? Does he is he just an unwitting dupe of this manipulative kid, or what? What do we think? Another thing we've seen, uh, or I've seen, dealing with uh, uh, parents and spouses. I mean, I know so many police officers that their their whole lives changed, or their outlook on their job changed. And and I know almost every cop I know has had this experience where they get called. Uh, and the call is uh, from an abusive woman who's just been beat up big time. And they get there, they get into a, a tussle with with the husband um, or boyfriend. And when they cuff him, the woman just loses it. And she actually starts calling them all kinds of names and telling them that they're right. worthless and they're, you know, all these right, different things. Right. And, yeah. and, I, and I think... Um, I forgot where I was going with that. What was the question that you asked well, me? Well, the there? dad, the dad, the dad. Okay. But but, so with, but parents are a little different. So, they they already are disposed to kind of protect the kids. You know, they sort of easily manipulated. Right, but I think what happens is um, kind of some of what what you get with the abused wife is that these parents see this odd behavior for so long and they want to fix it um, to the point where. They try to justify everything that he's did. Oh, it wouldn't be him. He's a good kid. He's extremely smart. And and what's interesting is when you look at, you know, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, uh, BTK, Green River Killer, this guy, what you see are people that, from a parent standpoint, are church-going people, are calm and have a full-time job. This guy is a PhD student. So the parents it would never register in their head and it'd be very difficult for them to register in a head that their kid did something like that. Uh, Susan or Caleb, I wonder if you guys have any questions for Jonathan. Oh, this is right up Caleb's alley. I know. I, know. That's why I, I mean, I'm, I was like, when I first heard in the news and I heard mm -hmm. like these young girls and there were four people and I was like, how did he get to all of them? Like without somebody calling the police in a or row, something. Yeah. Like it was like, I thought maybe they were drugged or something, but it was even more sinister but Caleb well, they were they were, they were intoxicated i mean i think these these women were intoxicated most of the people i don't know about the roommate but i definitely you can see it on camera that uh maddie and kaylee they were intoxicated um the other two uh, zana and ethan had been at a party all night so i think that played a huge role in this that uh the people the victims were intoxicated and I, people just do not have a good grasp and it's understandable of what a knife attack is actually like it's not like the movies was this guy where at the party too it, is he there no he no he wasn't he he left his house oh, okay. about 15 minutes away at about 2 uh, 2 30 2 40 in the morning tell us again about the knife attack so i feel like we have some useful uh, so, information there. yeah the, the, so knife attacks um are very lethal and there's two things that can, uh, with a knife, that can cause problems where people won't fight back. One is, you know, if if you get a severe stab wound to the lung, your lung could collapse to the neck or or these uh, places where uh, your function in life, which is breathing, is disrupted. Um, that's a major blow to a person who's never been injured or never been in a fight before. I mean, you're going from never being in a fight to now you're trying to fight for for life. Also. Um, hitting any artery, you're, you're, if you don't get a tourniquet on it, you're going to bleed out within a minute at the most. So you're looking at people that woke up or were woken up or didn't wake up. They just, a traumatic uh, uh, injury to their body instantly occurred. 
And this knife that he used is not uh, my pick of knives that I use for anything. Uh, it's a K old K-bar knife. They don't hold an edge well, so they don't stay sharp. And the point is prone to breaking off. However, it's a big knife. And if you hit somebody full force in the chest with it, um, there's, it, there's just not a lot of fight that you can get back with that unless you uh, will something up from inside and, and want to fight back like an animal. Most people, when they're hit with that much of a trauma to their chest or face, um, it's, it's going to be uh, the same as if I held you underwater. You're, you're going to struggle, but if I can put some pressure on you, you're going to succumb to whatever I'm doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Jesus. Caleb, any questions? Yeah. Uh, who do you think was the, was there one specific person that was the target in the house that you've kind of figured out or was it all four of them? Was it just someone in general or do they have any information on that yet? Was it one specific, one of the women? Well, we know, I think they, well, they know where he kind of rolled in and, and started. I believe he started upstairs, but I'm not comfortable saying that uh, all these other analysts are going out there and they're saying, oh, he definitely targeted you know, Kaylee, or they found the knife sheath on Maddie. So maybe she was the target, but I don't know with the, with a person like this, who he has stalked that neighborhood 12 times before this night. So he was obviously, um, interested in that neighborhood. Uh, he was obviously interested in that house. So, um, I think that is something that, um, will be determined down the road and I, and there's a lot of things they can do to determine that like uh, what's the severity of the attacks because it's going to get less right. and less it's a very exhausting thing to to kill this many people with a knife and uh but had he just gone in and and the first person he encountered was Kaylee for instance and he attacked her it wasn't necessarily a target he just saw girls in there she's going to have the most lethal wounds so um there may be something that comes out in uh his phone records that show that he was in the location of one or two of these people. And that is what will most likely lead them to, to determine who he was targeting, not the severity of the attack on the people inside the rooms. And, right. And he, right. Had, he had been around this house a couple times before, right? Like this is for some reason, 12. a target he 12 times before. Yeah. yeah. 12 times. Yeah, so he no, was I, I just wanted to toss out like, there that it's actually commendable that you won't jump to these conclusions because one of the worst parts about this whole case was the fact that a lot of these internet sleuths and the uh, like oh. the true crime people, a lot of people yeah. jumped the gun on this and they were all making assumptions and they were accusing people who turned out to have nothing to do with it. And on top of that, a lot of people were accusing the local police department of being inept and mishandling this. And then when the, the documents came out just like a few days ago, everyone had to kind of pull back on that all of a sudden whenever they realized, oh, the cops have been working on this the whole time. It's just the fact that right. they've been doing a good job by not leaking all of these documents out to the press. They've actually been doing 10 times as good of a job as people were imagining. So it's, it's uh, I'm right. commendable for you not making guesses on that like the others were doing. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you something. These internet sleuths, um, which we call them internet sleuths, they're, they're no different than QAnon people who jump on a <laughs> yes. some type of a weird uh, group think. Theory. And uh, Theory, yeah. if you go and look at the stuff that they write, um, they'll argue with me. I, I go on Twitter and I take uh, part in the dialogue quite a bit on, on social media. But people will say, you know, I don't think it's that way. And I say, well, you, you know, you've never been trained to kill. 
So it's probably, it happened in this, this way, this uh, uh, type of attack with a knife. And I was saying this before and how he was doing it. And, um, and they, they just don't even care. It'd be like them telling, you know, Dr. Drew that uh, it's a patient saying, well, I don't think you know what you're talking about. You know, you're just because you have a, you know, happens all the time. Yeah. Happens happens all, the time. all day, day long on Twitter, yep. all yep. day long on Twitter <laughs> and in real life, it happens. And it's, that's how patients treat their doctors. But, but what do you mean by how we use the knife? Tell me about that. Well, like I was saying that uh, on, on Twitter, I came out and said a couple things. And I said that uh, I, in order to, to be efficient at killing you have to, with a knife, you have to kill with a knife. And in order to uh, understand uh, the, I don't remember exactly what it was, but that was basically the gist of it, right? So uh, people just instantly started jumping on the bandwagon saying that um, you don't have to train to kill with a knife. There's been instances where mm. wives or some, somebody has killed somebody with a knife. And so trying to help them understand that systematically killing multiple people uh, along with the stalking that he did, the surveillance that he did and getting in there, all this stuff takes training to be able to get there and effectively do this. Um, and also psychologically and dealing with the adrenaline dump, this type of stuff takes training and they just don't want to hear that. They think that uh, a lot of people think that he just did this, that he was following Kaylee and uh, the other people were in the house or that he knew one of the roommates and that let him in there. And uh, there's no evidence of any of that stuff. Um, but, but if you try to tell them otherwise, it doesn't matter if you were trained to kill or that you were an FBI investigator, they, they know more than you do. And it's uh, of course. The, the downside to this. I mean, the real downside to this is that media has taken multiple times uh, where they've taken what Internet Sleuths has said and reported it as breaking news. And it it turned oh, out yeah. that it was nothing. Yeah. That, that is that is the new world landscape of media, which is somebody makes something up. Some blogger picks it up and says it's fact. And then the traditional media reports what the blogger said as though it were true. It's just disgusting, right. the lack of any yeah, there, sort there, there, of uh, investiga investigative uh, report, journalism that's so common. There was a report on, the other day on several morning shows where they said that he was in a cell and he told uh, the woman next to him in another cell that he would sla he slashed those girls and he'll slash her. And then when the, when the jailer came in, he said he was going to slash them if they came in a cell. <laughs> There's no proof that that ever happened. That came from an internet <laughs> sleuth or somebody that put that on like 4chan or something. And they didn't check it uh, out. Perfect. We have a super chat. We have a uh, from um, I've Got Words. They have a question. And what was the question? What is your opinion on the surviving roommate who didn't call police until much later? So I, I personally know three people who have had not circumstances where somebody was killing, but in one instance, um, a a uh, friend of mine, when she was younger, thought she heard something outside of her window and she curled up into the covers and then she just sat there frozen. She didn't realize, but five hours had passed before she came out of that uh, position. Yeah. Another girl, um, I know that somebody broke into their house uh, and when they were standing in the living room, she actually, for some strange reason, ran towards them and into a corner and balled up in a corner. She doesn't know why she did it. And she just stayed there. It freaked the, the robber out so bad that he left. So, but in another case, <laughs> um, a young girl, uh, a, a friend of a friend, I didn't know this person, but they were 
in their sorority they were in, they were always talking about how she used to sleep with the covers pulled up over her head. And they're like, how do you do that? And it turns out when she was young, they, her and her family had been out. She came home and a guy came out of her closet, uh, apparent Ooh. home invasion, and he was hiding in her closet. And when she got in her bed, he came out of the closet and walked out of the house. And um, so for, since that point, she slept with her head under the covers and she didn't tell anybody until the next morning. So, and even somebody who got um, kidnapped by Ted Bundy that survived him, uh, she got away from him and never told anybody, even after uh, it was in the news and she recognized him and she could have probably stopped other murders. But it's, uh, this is a traumatic experience. I mean, it, this is something, I don't blame that girl. And I think she might've been intoxicated and she got frozen and went back in there and was, she didn't know, according to the affidavit, she didn't see the people getting murdered. So she probably thought the same thing. I'll go in there and hide and he'll go away. And uh, she probably fell asleep or passed out. Did, did he, did she see the knife? Did he, did he look like somebody was actually in the process of doing something? I just, I just read that she saw somebody in black with a bushy eyebrow right. and that was it. And locked her door and went back in. I mean, people have this weird, I don't want to make waves kind of instinct. Like I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to bother the cops. I don't want to right. accuse somebody of something. You know, it's, it's a weird instinct we have. And it's, and then you, well, then you add this sort of bystander effect onto that. And then we just don't do right. much. We, we even saw this to a different extent in the Vegas shooting, I think is an excellent um, example of this, you know, a guy starts shooting people with a gun and uh, you, it, uh, a gun compared to a firecracker is totally different. And, but pe what did people assume? They assumed that it was fireworks. And so yeah. it's similar in the way that people are not programmed to think, oh, that's, that person is in my house right now with a mask on. So when they see it, they are so traumatized that they freeze with yeah. fear. And that, yeah, you that's have why to, you I have to that find. Book. Yeah, I love your book, Sheep No More. I, I don't know how you though train or coach people up not to freeze. I mean, freeze is a, it's an old primitive survival instinct when there's nothing else left. Uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't work very well. It's right. not, you know, it's sort of preparing for strike rather than preparing for fight. Right. It, it, you know, it. this is exactly because we're not prepared for it. So it doesn't take much. You can prepare yourself by forward thinking these things. Doesn't mean you're going to be paranoid or constantly looking behind your back. But thinking to yourself, how would I react in this situation? And I think if if people just did that, um, I, I teach courses where I put people through an hour or two hours of all these different scenarios that I know they're going to fail. Uh, and, uh, or about, we do that for about 30 minutes where, you know, for instance, you're in a coffee shop and a, and, uh, a person with emotional, dis uh, that's emotionally disturbed comes up and starts making uh, a ruckus. What do you do? And so people will confront him or they'll do something. And, and so I will teach them to think their way through it and then put them back through similar circumstances and then they're thinking their way through the process and i i think this is uh a, this is something that really needs to be taught to people on a wide well, scale well it's interesting i think I, all, i've talked i've talked course. a little bit over the years and uh and my, me and my family were in a shooting at uh, luger steakhouse in brooklyn <laughs> and uh i was sort of shocked that i held it together as well as i did but uh, let me let me let's do this let's take a little break oh, well because it really is where this stuff i think I, it's talking to guys like johnson that I was well able to i was thinking think like through. if this guy had a gun he would have taken out a classroom 
You know? Oh, yeah. But, well, he, but, it, but he went for a bunch of drunk kids him. at four in the morning. Wouldn't like, satisfy him the same not, way. I will yeah, say this before not. you take your break. I'll say this before you take your break. He's, I don't think he's the type of guy who would go into a school even if you gave him a gun. That he's not, He doesn't want yeah. to get caught. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. It feels more like personal domination. Like he yeah, needs to be able yeah. to see the person, each person, yeah. and, and watch what he does. All right, and then we'll maybe take a couple calls too. So let's uh, get right back with Jonathan so Gilliam after this. Genucel has so many products that Susan and I love. Their XV Moisturizer locks in moisture, making dry spots a thing of the past, which is especially great with the colder weather, of course. And with the immediate effects, too, you can see these results in as little as 12 hours. Guaranteed or your money back. Susan loves Genucel's Vitamin C Serum, the new deep correcting serum with lactic acid that hydrates your skin and reduces fine lines while preventing future wrinkles from forming. Don't believe me? Listen to Susan. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of this New Year's promotion by going to GenuCell.com and getting 60% off now with a complimentary gift set when you subscribe to my favorite package at GenuCell.com slash Drew. All orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the season. Use code DREW at checkout for an extra 10% off your entire order. That is genucel.com slash DREW, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. My guest is Philip Patrick. He is a precious metal specialist, trains at University of Redlands. He has spent years as a wealth manager at Citigroup, and his current position is with Birch Gold Group. So gold has always been uh, somewhat of a safe haven, particularly in times of great turmoil. Uh, much like our present moment, I imagine. Gold has always traditionally been a safe haven asset. Gold specifically has, has always been about wealth preservation, right? Gold has always held its buying power. You can look at as far back as you'd like in history. In biblical times, one ounce of gold would buy somebody 400 loaves of bread. And today it does the same thing. So it's a store of value. But I would say in times like this, as you mentioned, it's particularly important when you're dealing with things like 40-year high inflation, uh, you know, the air that's coming out of a stock market bubble. These times in particular tend to drive gold and silver up quite significantly. If things are different, the solution needs to be different as well. So I encourage everyone to get informed. And we have a lot of good information here to help your listeners. Just a reminder, I am not a financial advisor and I do not give out financial advice nor investing advice. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. And we are back with Jonathan Gilliam. Let's bring him back in here. And so, Jonathan, we were at a steakhouse and there was a shooting somewhere. We didn't know where. We just heard that the, you know, that, we heard shots. We heard, you know, waiters running in saying, everybody get down. Oh, there it is. Look, there's the, there's the, there's the page six. Uh, um, we were having and, dinner in Brooklyn and, dur right during the pandemic. Oh, and we are right after during, I don't know, we were downtown Brooklyn and we couldn't get into Peter Luger's easily. We finally got in and we had to, 
You had to run for cover. Susan ran into the corner. Was I was the, first. I was Everybody on the bottom on of a pile of humanity because the entire room piled into this one corner, which the, the staff sort of directed us to. But I was shocked. There were not bullets flying, but it was a very unclear situation because we didn't know. You know, when somebody says there's a shooting, you don't know, is this a drive-by shooting? Is this a mass shooting? Is there somebody in the restaurant shooting people? You have no idea what's going on. And... Within a few seconds, the cops happened to be 30 seconds away in an anti-cop rally, interestingly, down the street that they were at. And they showed up. God bless them. They showed up in 30 seconds. And then you know, so then we had rollers. That's all we were on down low, but all we could see was rollers everywhere. And we and I thought, is this going to be a shootout now with the cops? I mean, what what is going on? So I took a very heaven wooden, wooden table and tried to push it up into the window to protect this pile of people that was behind me. And I thought I, I was sort of surprised that I thought through enough to kind of do that because I, I was just sort of assessing and realizing it. One of the things that people don't appreciate, and you tell me if this is a, a common thing or this is the most common thing, you think – you think you're going to know what's going on, and I bet more often than not, you have no idea what's happening. You, you're, it's a always uncertain or unclear situation, right? Because it's a fluid situation, and if you're not, if you're not used to thinking through fluid situations, so there's two things in, in preparing yourself. One is trying to forward think anything that can happen and mitigating that if possible. What are the vulnerabilities? There, that was another thing. Let me, I'm going to interrupt you. There, there was an exit across the room. And, and I thought, and a few people that threw up, blew out through the exit. And I thought, should we make a run for that? For all I know, the guys are out there. That could be where the problem is. We have no idea right. where the, the thing is. So I thought probably staying put. What yeah, does this say? Oh, I think we should have run. <laughs> uh, well, of course, in retrospect. but I it, ran. I, we were in the doorway. So well, how, when should you run? When should you not? I could it's a hear great the question. gunshots. How do you know whether to run or not? That's yeah, a great question. I just wanted to get out of the doorway. Yeah. Well, first off, whoever just put that that uh, comment up there, I was I was picturing you with you know how the Hulk, no matter how big he gets, his pants are always still on. But that's what I was picturing, like your shirt exposed, off, your pants somehow they're still on there. It is. <laughs> throwing that tape up there. So uh, you know, I like to look at it as um, uh, run, not run, but escape, evade, uh, or fight. Right. So when we think of run, you're thinking of just tearing out of there. And getting out of there. When we think of hide, you think of getting in a place and staying in that place. But we've seen both of those lead to death. So I think yeah. in a case like this, when you're when you have considered thinking your way through it, uh, if you can escape, then you you if you have to run, you run. But you're you're calculating where you're going to run to, and typically that's cover or concealment. Cover uh, means that you are actually behind something that can stop the attack and concealment means that they may not be able to see you. So th this is what you want to focus on. Can I get concealment? Can I get co cover first and then concealment if not? And so you try to move your way out of the danger area or the critical area. And then if you can't, uh, then you hide and, but you're, you're really, um, so that's, uh, escape, but now you're going to evade. So if you have to lock down in one area for a period of time, you should still keep in your mind that I may have to move. And so consistently looking for and thinking your way through, pull up your apps on your phone. Where can I move from here? Where am I? You know, we, we all have phones that have satellite views of where we're at now. So while something's going on, you could be looking at that if you haven't done a map study before. 
And then the last thing is fight. If you have to get in a fight, you better be ready for that fight before you're confronted with that fight. So have in your brain that I don't want to fight. I'll walk away from it. But if I get confronted where that is the only choice, I am going to fight like there's nobody's business, like a, like a wrinkle in your face when you put cell on it, right? You're, it's going it's to try to fight to stay alive. <laughs> That's a fight. That's a fight. I love it. But, but I also remember that uh, I, I've been taught by you and others that uh, you lose your fine motor coordination in these extreme circumstances. So hitting you know, yeah. phone buttons and stuff is, is a tall order. Yeah, but you could take you. That's exactly right. You'll be so shaken up you can't dial a phone. But if somebody confronts you, you will be able to fight with a veracity that you didn't even know you had. And so, but if you don't think your way through it, what takes over? You get frozen. Or like people who yeah. um, have tried to hide. I think there was a mall in Kenya where people tried to hide, and the mm -hmm. robbers were just coming up and shooting them. They weren't even in a position to hide. They were like literally just crouched up in a corner, and that's not going to save them. We saw it in Florida. There yeah, was a guy that was, that was what I did behind a curtain. Didn't do. It wouldn't right. have done me any good. If they shot the but curtain. That's All of us would have died. That's concealment. But yeah, we got that but, part right. But I've seen people in shootings in airports where they jump just jump into the floor. I mean, they're not, it's, there's nothing there. They just jump onto the floor. And, um, <laughs> and I know they got hurt from the jump alone, but they're now they're laying on the floor with no cover or concealment. So we have to think our way. Yeah. Through I, I wanted I, to I, hide behind something, but it was a curtain. So, and later I thought, well, if a person came around the corner with a gun, we would have all been just laying there. But I, but, yeah. But we had tables and stuff. And I was, I, I, I was surprised. I was thinking, thinking, thinking the whole time. I thought, I, I thought it'd be more towards freeze, but then again, there were not bullets flying. It was just an unclear situation. Right. So let me say one other thing about that. Go ahead. Um, Absolutely. This is, this is the way we should all break this down, right? There's, Critical areas where groups of people get together, we call them soft targets. You've probably heard of that term before, but critical areas where people will cluster. And then, but those areas only become critical at certain times. So you need to look at those uh, wherever you go and ask yourself, is this a critical area right now? Or is it gonna be when I go there? And then try to think about the vulnerabilities that, that could be exploited. What type of person would be drawn to that? And then what's the avenue of approach they that they would take? And if you just give that even a microsecond of thought, then you're going to be able to start thinking your way through and say, if I was going to attack, this is what I do. And if I want to get out of it or I want to defend myself, this is what I have to do. And uh, what you'll start to see is that, for instance, in Nashville in 2018, I believe it was, at three in the morning, there's only a couple of soft targets. And one of them is Waffle House. So if you go to a Waffle House in Nashville at three in the morning, there's a good chance if an attack is going to happen in that city at that time, it's going to be there. So, and it did. A naked guy with a gun walked right in, and most people didn't even notice when until he had started shooting. So uh, one guy had the wherewithal um, because he, he had thought about this stuff before, and he got up and fought the guy and got the gun away from him, and the guy took off after several people had been shot. So... You see the difference there. Even at three in the morning at Waffle House, um, an attack can happen because it is a critical area at a critical time. I remember the Mandalay Bay shooting because mm -hmm. we did a lot of, like we talked to some of the people that survived it. A friend of ours was there and this was pre-pandemic. And I think, you know, we just need to educate ourselves that it's coming, you know, this wave of violence is coming back 
to America, you know, since we've been out of the COVID situation and, you know, it's not, it, it it's kind of, it just exists. So we're not, nobody's immune to it. Even mm-hmm. Dr. Drew at a Peter Luger. <laughs> That's true. Um, Caleb, you've been right. trying to ask something. You want to get something in here? Uh, no, he actually answered it. Cause I was, I was wondering I, okay. ever since all these, you know, the shootings and everything started really picking up again. I've every time I walk into a room, anytime I'm in a crowd, it's my first thought is where's the closest wooden table I can knock over, especially after what happened with you, yeah. Drew, is I think where's the closest yeah. thick wooden table that I can yeah. knock over. At least there's some barricade. You can usually find a table. Hey, Dr. Drew. One second, Josh. Josh, you want to ask a question for Jonathan? Yeah, I just wanted to know this. This has got a different feel than the, the death, the overwhelming deaths uh, you know, the almost the perversion of death that happens in these mass shootings where they just want to kill as many people as possible. Mm. This to me feels like stalking. And it feels like the culmination of stalking, as if he got into himself in a situation where he had to do something to almost make the stalking feel like it was okay or something like that, where he got himself in a situation where he, ha- he had to do this to get out of it. He was like, he had his like he laser beams stalking. on. Let's, uh, well, let's ask if that oh, happens. Sorry. Is that a kind Who of, that? it's John, that, Jonathan Gilliam. Let's see, let's get okay. him to respond. Cause he studies these people. Is that, is there right. a stalking version of this? Uh, just sort of fighting their way out of being caught or I, that doesn't fit for me quite well, right. Well, here's what you have to realize that the people who do mass shootings, uh, tend to be people who, uh, have a, a, a dominant, uh, they have a dominant uh, desire. They want to dominate people. Perhaps there are people who are smaller or were in, in the case of incels, that's involuntary celibate. Uh, you're seeing that's another online thing that's growing for some strange reason. And so a lot of these people, um, their desire is to be seen as dominant, right? Not necessarily to kill, but their, their desire becomes so uh, overwhelming that they go out and will perform something like shooting up a, a, a school or um, a parade, or it doesn't have to be a shooting. They go in and do a knife attack, but kill or injure 20 people in a room. So they have a, they have a desire to be dominant and to be seen as dominant. Now, you take a guy like this, he has a, a very similar desire, but it's not based on necessarily on the fact that he couldn't get a date or the fact that he is a smaller or has been uh, bullied by his coworkers. This guy has developed a, a desire that can only be satiated through the hunt. And he doesn't want to get caught. He wants to be able to fulfill that and then continue to fulfill that. Whereas one, one group of people, their whole blaze of glory is the end all of their satiation. This guy, to continue to do these things, methodically, and that's where the stalking comes in because stalking can for a while be all he needs to be satiated. He's doing something deviant. He's following these women. Interesting. So that's what, that's, that's what Josh is picking up on that, the, 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 what yeah. there's actually what's called the seeking system in your brain. It's uh, this guy named Panskip that, that, that really isolated and discovered the seeking system. And it was largely looked at interestingly in porn addicts because they spend a lot of their time seeking the perfect whatever it is they're looking for online. Mm-hmm. And so the seeking itself, stimulant addicts do this sometimes too, the, the procurement, the seeking, the paraphernalia, all of that becomes as rewarding as the drug itself sometimes. 
And so oh, interestingly, yeah. Josh picked up on that. And that's interesting that, that, that does seem to be a part of this guy's cold blooded quality. I think you just nailed it. I mean, that, I think that is yeah. something, a quality that we all have. And I, and you know, yes, we have qualities of these people inside of us. You know, if, if you've ever been wronged by a group of people where you're like, man, I'd like to go in there and just tear up every single person or give them a piece of my mind that you're doing the same thing. It's just that they're doing it on a different level because they don't have the conscience that you have. They don't have the empathy or the ethics and morals that you have. They have gone beyond those things. So um, I think, uh, and, and I think what's interesting, Dr. Rue, is that the more we see these things, we can look at the world a as a whole and we can see that the morality has, has died down Drug abuse has gone up, porn addiction has gone up, family units have gone down. So is these things that kind of make us healthy um, uh, or, or make us destroyed in, in the world increase, so will these attacks increase because the less morality and uh, the less family unit, the more likely you are to have these people. Yeah, less less constraints on the behaviors and less shaping of the, the, of the character. There's, there's yeah. less what constraints we... on the seeking. Yeah. Yeah, the seeking behavior. And hold on a second, Susan and Caleb. We have also seen someone uh, acting that give my give somebody a piece of their mind, acting it out online. Susan is doing that on a regular basis now. She's acting it out through <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> so, uh, you're getting, you're getting, blocking people yeah. that that make me mad. Different. Uh, what can we do <laughs> to, uh, to? How can we see warning signs in these kinds of situations? Like you said, you know, this guy came into bars and they had him on a list, and like we right. do that, but we, we we can't. How can the system help us stop the mental Ill, mentally ill kill? It's it's not it's not a mental illness technically, right? It's, it's or a, this yeah. psychopaths. I don't know. But how? Well, I, I mean, when you see it, it's like we we're we're pinpointing it, but we're not stopping it. How can we train our kids to like be aware right. or understand that they're being well, stalked? I remember when I got in the SEAL teams, uh, we had this incredible master chief and he said, let me just tell you the honest truth. SEALs are not that great at what they do. We're just that much better than what everybody else does. So that, that, you know, humbles a person because we're then striving to do better all the time. And I think, um, in, in this, uh, career of psychology. And what I see in this industry is that um, if they adopted that mentality, they would be able to go much further and look into these people. And the same goes with law enforcement. You know, law enforcement gets after five years, everything you were trained in the academy is pretty much gone. And you're just focused on how the neighborhood that you work in or the society that you work in has raised you to be. And once you get integrated in, in, into that, then you kind of become, uh, it becomes redundant and you become complacent. So they don't look beyond what they typically see. And we don't typically see this. But if, like I said a minute ago, is that this does exist in all of us to some extent, um, but we have morals and ethics to, uh, to stop this stuff from this seeking to go further. Uh, I think if we, developed a way where we, the political correctness has been the worst for this. Like you can't look at somebody and say, that guy's odd. I mean, every single one of these people has been odd beyond, no, I mean, a normal person that does some weird stuff, right? These people are very odd, very creepy. They ask weird questions. They are very domineering or they're very sneaky. Uh, and I think 
I, it's a very difficult thing in our society because society used to police itself with these people, but we've gotten to a point now where we don't want to offend people. We don't want to go down a road um, where we injure somebody because of social media and all these things. You can you can convict a person in the court of public opinion, or in the case of many of these teenagers, cause people to kill themselves because of social media and because of the way this that society is now. So we're in a bit of a pickle when it comes to reporting this stuff because it's directly related to odd behavior. Every single one of these people, when you go do a background check on them or on what they've done and you look at their background, they were all odd to an extreme, but it wasn't an extreme to where they would say this person uh, has definitely should be investigated because he's killed somebody. There's no evidence of that, right. but there is extreme evidence of this behavior. Right. And back to your comment about there being social constraints and morality, there is such a thing as a pro-social psychopath. Psychopaths can be highly moralistic. In fact, that's sort of, that's how they compensate for their psychopathy by being very sort of cognitive in their understanding of what's good and what's bad, what's just and what's not. They get very, very literal with it. They don't have instincts about it, so they have to be very cognitive. And uh, some of the you know very, people I know that are very pro-social have some of that stuff going on. And so that sense, psychopathy isn't a mental, certainly not a serious mental illness. It's not a mental illness per se. It's a character construct, and it has real liabilities associated with it. That, that word That's cognitive, I think, is that is pinpoint in this whole thing is that when I think this is kind of a key to this, right, is when you see people that are making what you would think is a moral or ethical decision, and they are making it based on the fact that they don't want to get caught or because they want the power over this person. Um, and you can see somebody who would go into their office and crucify their coworkers, but then go to a, a social gathering with the same social workers and their boss, and they're just the best person in the world. Um, you know that there's some real issues with that. And that's why many psychopaths, many, uh, excuse me, many politicians, many CEOs, people who rise to the top, they have all the traits of a psychopath, a Machiavellian, mm -hmm. narcissistic. And when you put those things together, along with a person that has this deviant desire, um, that's where they go off down this other road. The, these other people we're talking about, their desire is power. And their desire is a job, but they're they're uh, when a person kind of goes off to the edge where their desire becomes to dominate somebody to and kill them, then the same type Oof. of behavior that is going to be presented in the psychopaths that go and kill. Well, Jonathan, I thank you for coming in today. I, I've always enjoyed talking with you. I love the book Sheep No More. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before I let you go? I think that people need to start being aware. These these young girls and Ethan that died in uh, in Idaho, um, people need to start being aware that these killers are out there. They need to start realizing that uh, maybe you shouldn't go out and get wasted to the point where you're not, you don't know what's going on in your in your home. And uh, but with all that to the side, you need to be prepared. Uh, when something occurs that you forward thought, how am I going to react? If there's solutions to a lot of these things, but it's easier for people just to put it off. I think that we, people can save their lives by actually doing things long before they get themselves into that situation. Should we be carrying some sort of weapon? So crazy. 
I always carry some kind of weapon. I mean, even if I can't, I'm not, you know, if I can't, I figure out something. If I can't carry a gun in a certain location, I figure out something that I can use. But the reality is, Dr. Drew, is that I, I think my way through these situations long before I get there. And I am willing, and I know that I will do this. If something happens, uh, if I can't figure out what's going on, uh, I'm going to monitor the situation. I'm either going to escape, evade, and if I have to fight, then my my whole goal in life at that point is to eliminate that threat. So I know that I will do that. Other people need to come to that same conclusion. So even if you have a weapon, if you haven't thought your way through it, you're probably not going to use that weapon. Even cops get their guns taken away from from them by bad guys and killed with their own guns because they're not willing yeah. to use it. That would be me if I had a gun. <laughs> Jonathan, is there a website, jonathangilliam.com, I see? And is there social media Jonathan that you T. want to Gilliam. go for? Jonathan T. Yeah, Jonathan Gilliam. Jonathan They can find me on all social media. If you go to that website, there's links to it all, but usually you'll see this face and uh, and you'll know that, that that's me. It's so well, weird. We'll be in I'll touch. Say Hopefully we won't have any bad things happen where we have to call you yeah. again. But Hold on a second. We, we'll what be else is weird? It's so weird because when this has nothing to do with that, but you go search your name online and there's like five other people who are sometimes more that have your name. I didn't think there's any other Jonathan T. Gilliams, but apparently there's like several other people and that are online and some of them have beards and a bald head. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> After the stuff we've been discussing, if that's the weirdest thing, uh, we're in pretty good shape. So. I've told this story before on that, that this topic here that my wife, whenever we got married, my real last name is nation. So when we got married, my wife who was named Taylor, she became Taylor nation which happens to be the name of Taylor Swift's fan club. So we will never get any uh, of her social media accounts. We'll never own taylornation.com for the rest of her life. Wow. So she well, got that go. when she married thank me. You. <laughs> thank that you, Taylor that is a, That's an amazing name, though. I got to be honest thank with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's my real name. <laughs> you got to write a book. Right? It doesn't even matter oh. what you write the book about. It's going to be a hit. Well, guess what? I did write any, books. <laughs> I wrote books, yeah, a long time do ago. Not, do not name any children Bieber. <laughs> Yes, new. No. <laughs> we already know it's like we, there's all sorts of. We named our child Camden, and so now there's already jokes about like Camden Nation, like condemnation, and oh, oh there's no. so many jokes you can do with oh, Nation no. now. He's, I know he's this poor, get that by poor child. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. All right, John, I'm let you go. Thanks well, so God much, God bless friend. for your hard you work and yeah. what you deal with. It's, yes, it's pretty intense. Yes, thank you, sir. You got it. God bless you. Be safe. All right, buddy. Thank, thank you, man. So uh, before we wrap up, I, I don't really see any calls setting up here um i, I, I feel wanna... i feel like we haven't done the subject matter in a long time and you know usually there's a tragedy and yeah. we have to you know have somebody on but yeah i'm just i'm i'm really glad we haven't had the need i mean this is like the first thing in a long time All right so i i want to um that's because of the pandemic right we've been i we've think not, so it was the only good thing that came out right, of the pandemic. we weren't even interacting with each other but Speaking of interacting, I want to address uh, people's disgusting behavior on Twitter. They are f disgusting. Um, that all of everybody who is attacking one another on the pro or the anti-vaccine side around the injury that uh, the NFL player suffered on last weekend, weekend before last, is exploiting that tragedy. Now, thank God he made it through okay. But the fact that you're using it as an opportunity to attack each other and to, to 
The, the most disgusting behavior I've seen of all is reading people's minds based on what they think they said and then what somebody said about what they think they said, and that becomes your basis for a discussion. That is disgusting. That is not reading. That is mind reading when you have no business even contemplating what is in another person's mind. And then rather than going back for yourself and looking at the original comments, going off what other people were saying, somebody else said. And I saw professionals doing it. I saw no, I, it's disgusting. And it is really at the core of what's wrong with Twitter. We don't know what happened to, I'm blanking on his name now. Gosh darn Demar it. Demar Hamlin. We don't know what happened to Demar. He went down suddenly. He had hypoxic brain injury. We do know that. That's why he was unconscious for a long period of time. When your brain is hypoxic like that, all functions shut down so you don't breathe on your own. They had to breathe for him. And with older brains, when you're down that period of time, you often do not come back. And But it's very hard to tell for the first week. You have to just kind of wait it out. And you see in his case, he started improving pretty much two or three days in. It's a great sign for anoxic encephalopathy. He got better. His breathing function appeared to have been impaired above and beyond the neurological issue. Now that could be an aspiration from the intubation. He was intubated out on the field. That could be a shock lung from having been without blood pressure for as long as he was. Or this whole thing could have been a pulmonary embolus. Nobody's talking about that. That's a possibility. What about that? That's caused by COVID and vaccine. Who knows which? We don't know. And by the same token, whether it's some sort of cardiac inflammation or spontaneous arrhythmia, arrhythmia with or, mount, with or without commotio cordis, or maybe the commotio was the, the sole inciting influence, we don't know. We have none of that information. And just because you speculate about one thing or another does not mean you're coming down on any side. It doesn't mean a damn thing about vaccine or not vaccine. We are still left, and this is nobody's fault other than the, uh, my profession, we are still left not knowing whether something is COVID, the vaccine, or COVID plus vaccine, or vaccine plus booster. These questions need to be asked, and they're not being properly asked. Now, to say that there are not increasing deaths or sudden drop attacks amongst athletes. I think that's disingenuous. But if that data is in question, we need to address that data and figure out whether it's happening or not. Not, not look at whether it is, not, not yell at each other about whether it is or is not. Get good data. Look, I was, what's really bothering- each other names. What's bothering me right now is I, uh, somebody put a tweet up about um, multi-system uh, inflammatory condition, you know, the, the thing that kids get post-COVID. And uh, she said, she was a pediatrician, and she said, let's, let's put this business to rest about pediatrician, about pediatric COVID being mild and not hurting kids. It was essentially a study about how if multiple organs are involved, the outcomes were very bad. But in that study, they implied that the multi-system inflammatory disease was common. So I spent about an hour and a half looking through the pediatric literature trying to because that, that to me struck me. I was like, oh my gosh, it's common? I, I guess I missed that because uh, it doesn't seem common. And it's, I've never, not, pediatricians aren't telling me that. But if it's common, well, now I understand maybe why the vaccines are being pushed on younger populations. After 90 minutes of pouring through the literature, I could not tell, based on the medical literature, whether it was exceedingly rare or exceedingly common. And that's a problem. There is something wrong with our literature right now, and I can't tell what it is. I, how could it be there's good, and by the way, the studies weren't flawed. They weren't, they weren't poorly done. I couldn't figure out, I'm not a, I'm not a Vinay Prasad in terms of reading medical literature. I can't see where the problems are as, as readily as he can. So I couldn't pick out why these studies were so different. 
but they were in reputable journals, they were peer-reviewed, and they were just as likely to say it was almost non-existent and exceedingly common. There's something wrong with our medical literature right now. So I'm worried about that. I, I've relied on this literature my entire career, and this, this sort of shook me to my core. And so when people argue about whether there are or are not increase in uh, athletes dropping, why don't, I don't we figure I don't, it I don't out? I don't know what to make it. We need to do prospective studies and figure this out. Really good people need to do these studies. And we need to ask these questions. And the fact that we're not asking these questions is bizarre. We're essentially saying it's not happening, therefore we're not asking the questions, as opposed to, hey, maybe it is happening, let's take a look at it. And if it is happening, let's figure out why. This And, and then people f treating each other like shit in social media for no good reason, for none whatsoever, as I've already expressed, and the lack of community, collegiality, just just general sort of, um, uh, what would the word I'm looking for? Decorum. It's just pathetic. It's really yeah. pathetic. And you're, you're showing your side. And, and somebody's going to be right. There's going to be a truth. And again, both sides are doing this. Somebody, and I want to see profound apologies from the side that turns out to be not on the side of the truth. Or... By the way, if you're not on the side of trying to discover the truth, trying to get to the truth, that is, you should examine that as well. So uh, I just felt the need to get that off my chest because it's very, very concerning how people are thinking and behaving. And then the medical literature itself is all over the place. And I'm reminding you that we saw, we've talked, again, I don't necessarily agree with all the people that Kelly Victory brings in here, but I get interesting insights into from each of them. And one of them was that there is a tendency to not publish certain kinds of medical literature and that the medical, these editorial staff is sort of pushing things in one direction or another. That's a problem. And if that's true, if, if that's true, um, but there's evidence of something amiss, something is not right. And we have to really be patient and diligent as we try to figure this stuff out. Thank God this one particular case turned out uh, gloriously, frankly. He's going to be absolutely normal. God. Now, but they, they've, because they've told us nothing, we don't know whether he's going to be able to play football again. If this was some sort of clotting event like a pulmonary embolus, he'll be on blood thinners for six to nine months. And whether he could play football again, I, I'm not sure. If this is a, a spontaneous rhythm disturbance, He's on an antiarrhythmic now or something. Maybe it's, I don't know. It's a very, very you have to weigh at all the factors. Extremely difficult call to decide whether this guy should play football again. Um, again, we're talking I'm about. I'm just happy he's alive. Not just alive. He's going to be completely, he's going to be completely normal eventually. He's going to be great. perfectly normal. And that's, remember we were sitting here going, well, it could turn out okay. And I remember you tweeted to somebody that said he was on uh, the, the, uh, life support or whatever in the hospital and you, you gave him advice and said, well, it'll probably, it could be okay. And yeah. I was like, oh shit, I don't know if you should say that. Like, oh no, I could it, tell the kind of direction he was going. That but was really but honestly, it was like they responded and say, well, we don't want any of the medical doctors on the internet to be giving us advice right now. Like, and it, I get that. I understand that. Sure. I, I wouldn't either. Sure. I'd be like, cause it might give false. I wasn't giving advice. I was just saying it's good news. It's going in the right direction, and hopefully it'll keep going that way. Which but it usually still, does. It's, it usually it's does. Twitter. You know what I mean? Like we're we're giving advice and we're politicizing medicine on Twitter. That's so. insane. That's insane to me. It's in. You should examine yourself if you're doing that. You know, the certainty. If we've learned nothing about COVID, it's that certainty is the enemy. It, it's it has eluded us, and you know, sort of. 
uh, surprised us in many, many, many different ways. And appropriate humility in the face of that, I think, is, yeah. is the order of the day. And but, you said you were, we were about ready to take off on a plane and you made a tweet and you just said what you felt mm -hmm. and it got, everybody projected their feelings on you about what you said. They I mean, projected that I was commenting about vaccine. I thought it was COVID that did it. That's what was on my brain. But I didn't want to say that either. I thought it was a post-COVID phenomenon likely. So those of you that put the anti-vax blush on it, think about reading other people's minds before you ask them, what were you, what are you thinking? What does that mean? Who, right. How do you know what somebody else is thinking just based on somebody saying they're disturbed by something that just happened? My God, what is wrong with this this country? So I spent but, six hours on the airplane blocking all the haters. Well, that was you. I, yeah. I, I was not Felt interested. Good. So, um, but to, to the point about uh, Damar, um, him getting better, compare that to uh, Whitney Houston's daughter. If you remember about four days in, I said she's not coming out because th that was a very different thing. If you remember, she was drowned in a bathtub and she had... Uh, oh yeah. And I was thinking COVID that if P if we, if people are going to have these sorts of events from COVID, we need to have some increased surveillance and some way of monitoring and predicting when that's going to happen. Or if it's COVID plus the vaccine, or if it's the vaccine, hey, let's ask the question, which it is, but either way, we got to monitor people for the ability to prevent this from happening. Where people have gone instead is no athletes aren't dropping. They're not dropping. It's not happening. What just happened tomorrow? It happened to him. He dropped. It happened. It's an, it's, and it's another one. We were, now, whether we're seeing excess or not, I didn't say. I didn't say there's excessive deaths. I just said, here's another story of another. Yeah, it seems like Learn it's to read, everybody. Learn to read. Just, Literally no reference anyway. to vaccines in this tweet. They all no just assume or, or to Or to increase in sudden yep. death. Yep. Neither. And by the way, I put prayers on the end of it. Without, yeah. without being contrite, I read being sort of um, contrived the way so many people are. Oh, prayers, prayers, prayers. I, I just, I, let me just, you know, give a signal that I'm praying and that's that. But you read, you should examine yourself. You read everything else into that. It's not what was on my mind at all. Now, I could be wrong. It could be the vaccine. It could be vaccine plus COVID. But I was thinking about COVID at the time. So anyway, uh, we learned that... Um, what was I just thinking I mean, about more that? more football players would be f dropping dead of heart attacks all the time if you got hit like that because they get hit like that every five seconds. Yeah, yeah. They, that that's, wasn't. That's, that's we, we have not been. To, look, we don't football. know what this was. Heart attack, Susan, is a clot in a coronary artery. Now that has happened. Or coronary. Yeah. Coronary artery. This happened. People think it's happening from the vaccine. We think it's happening from COVID, and that. Maybe that's what happened, but they're not telling us that. It didn't look like that. It didn't, didn't have that kind of quality to it. And that three-step backwards fall. That's the like fact a that it was exactly what uh, uh, happened to, to uh, no, it's not myocarditis. Heather and McDonald. Heather McDonald had the same thing. That's actually what happens from dysautonomia. And so how could dysautonomia lead to a, a cardiac event? It's sort of what I was thinking at one point, too. And whether that's COVID or not or whatever, you know, these are these are things that need to be answered. And I don't believe anybody can really accurately answer them just yet. I so, I mean, he has the right to privacy and whatever it well, was. Well, let me go know. back to just talking about the, how he was doing. So, so um, you know, Whitney Houston's daughter, day four, was not, was totally dependent on the ventilator, was without any reflexes. And when they lightened up the barbiturate, which they kept her on, she would start seizing. So that was somebody who was dead, as opposed to this young man who on day two, 
they were starting to dial down day three, trying to dial down the ventilator. It's like, okay, this is going the right direction. Yes. And if it's already going in the right direction, probably keep going in the right direction. But I think what I was thinking at the time was you can't really tell there's going to be a full neurological recovery, but there could be at this point. So, so there, there, was. You there was, he went and home there will today. Have been. There will have been, you know, he's going back for more treatment. But he went home. He's off the ventilator. Is he in his hometown? No, they said he's going home. Cause I read that he went home to, to, um, what is home for him? It's a uh, Buffalo, went home to Buffalo for more treatment. So it's possible okay. he went to a hospital. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah. But it, I heard I ESPN said that he went home. All right. Let me just quickly look at the uh, restream, see what you guys are thinking. Uh, yeah, I know you're big John Campbell fans. I am too. And he's been correcting some of the data that he was looking at where he thought something horrible was happening that if you saw that. Is he off of YouTube now? Or Well, one got knocked off. And I'm not really clear why. I'm guessing that study was an outlying study. But he did present it as though it were sort of a quality study. It was out of Cleveland. Um, it was, I don't know if for whatever reason that study got, uh, sidelined, um, John Campbell, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's done a good job the whole pandemic. He's been very thoughtful and careful. We've all, oh, somebody who's your say, lady said they, he went to another hospital, so I'm wrong. Okay. So he, he went to a hospital in Burbank, in uh, Buffalo, rather Burbank. Uh, uh, in in Susan's okay. defense though, I actually did pull up yeah. two articles that, and they both articles say he went home. Which could mean hit like a hospital I, close to his hometown, but I I literally correct. read that same no, sentence. Going to Susan, his, Susan did, yeah. It's going. They they what I zeroed in on. They said home for more care, and yeah. that was sort of code for rehab. Yeah, well, or I'm not you know. that sophisticated. By rehab, I mean physical rehab, like going to a physical rehabilitation unit, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which it wouldn't be surprising if he needed some of that stuff. So, well, I'm glad that he was. They could move him. Yeah. Oh my God, it's all it's all great. It's all great news. Don't don't get me wrong. So kudos uh, to the guy that kept him alive on the field. They think John Campbell has woken up. I, a lot of John Campbell stuff reminds me of a Malhotra's uh, system of belief. And uh, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. We'll see who's correct. Let's see. There's always been heart attacks and serious athletes in their prime. Sports can be extremely hard on the heart. Um, the question uh, is how much of the frequency has increased it. If, if at, at all. all, if at all, James, Ben James, that's the question. But no, there have not been. There are not heart, rarely heart attacks and rarely commotio cordis. But there can be rhythm disturbances and there can be heart fits. Totally different thing. There can be enlargement of the heart. Completely different than heart attack and not particularly necessarily. I mean, the the kinds of sudden death that happens with those sorts of conditions, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, are highly screened for, particularly in the NFL. That stuff is looked for constantly, and these guys don't have that. That's How many why. heart attacks or or cardiac arrest have you seen in a football game in the last twenty years? I saw the one that you I watch football. All the time. I saw the one that I resuscitated because of a brain bleed. No, That's on TV. One. Like never, how many? Never. I mean, I don't remember any. Never. But, I, I mean, well, I tell you where there have been. There have been deaths in the NFL during training camp because of heat, dehydration, and um, taking sort of and like things like uh, antihistamines and decongestants and stuff, sort of and so stimulants, but things they shouldn't be taking out in the, that kind of condition. That's where people get into trouble with the NFL. That that's where I've seen that happen. And again, that's not a heart attack. That's or a getting, cardiac arrhythmia. Getting hit, you know, in the heart. Like how no, many of it, those? That happens mm -hmm. with the the thing about commotio cordis could happen but it's typically in a a pre-adolescent male so a thin chest wall 
with a projectile because a tap on the chest with a hockey puck, baseball, or elbow, like in a soccer game. There it is. There's the that's sort of the classic description of it right and that's there. That's what that pads picture. are for to cover your heart. It, 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 yes and no, but it could still happen even with a pad. But but it it just tends not to. It, you notice even in this picture, it, it shows a fist, an elbow, a, a hockey puck, and it shows what it is: the sudden wrap of a of a as the heart is repolarizing, you get this this interruption of the heart's uh, normal electric. And we've seen it happen to kids we know too. We have seen it happen to kids we know. And the other thing that's interesting about that is when I've when we've seen that happen, uh, typically the kids go flaccid immediately. They're just down. And so this fact that he got up and took some steps, it's like then people had to contort themselves to explain how it could be commotio. Go, well, maybe he went into ventricular tachycardia, which is a bad rhythm. Not particularly caused by commotio, but maybe there's some underlying thing that said VTAC, the commotio, helped trigger it. And when you have ventricular tachycardia, you can maintain your blood pressure and that can break down into ventricular fibrillation. But now you're talking about something, an exceedingly, exceedingly rare circumstance of an exceedingly, exceedingly rare event. So we're contorting ourselves to explain something. And yeah, we don't know yet. We'll find out what. Here's Heather McDonald we'll when she out. fell down. Look, those few steps and then back, boom. That's. And maybe, maybe her heart got restarted by the fall. Maybe she had an arrhythmia too. We don't know. So anyway, at least Bob's, Bob Sagan never lived to tell he us anything. He smacked his head, you know, to the point he where fell he, backwards too. Correct, exact same fall, exact same. A fall. week after the vaccine. So, Drew, right, do you think so? To uh, yeah, just uh, the last ahead. question on that topic: Do you think that that this is something that has been happening at this same frequency all this time and we just haven't noticed it and now we're all paying no. attention every time an athlete falls down with heart issues we're noticing it maybe well maybe in the athlete department but definitely cardiologists will tell you they're seeing more stuff i i i queried in nicole and Gemma yesterday who talked to some of her peers and they're not seeing interestingly this is important they're not seeing anything much different in the autopsies so the autopsies are not necessarily different. Oh. So that's kind of interesting data, and at but, least in the small you know cohort that she that she. But Dr. Queried. Cole said he did. Find well, that. Because, but he's he's getting this stuff sent to him where there's kind of question marks. Right, and maybe right. these are extremely rare events. Right, right? and she's extremely rare. She's a she's just a general attack. pathologist. She's yeah. Attack. Um, uh, what was my next point going to be about this? Oh, and so. We are seeing more people with dysautonomia. We are seeing more people with arrhythmias. That's just simply a fact. That's just happening. And it's particularly young male. And we are seeing more myocarditis. But that doesn't mean we're seeing more death. That doesn't mean we're seeing more consequence in the athletic area. And it may just be that social media, the algorithms feed us this stuff if we look at it. So right. it looks like to us, like there's a lot more athletic deaths. Now, I, you know, Dr. Kelly Victory has some data that says it is. Much like the multi-system inflammatory condition the data is all over the place there's something wrong with our system right now in terms of I know. what data you can really believe and what what's but what bad is accurate and what is it it's very weird i know i what's said that was my last question but have you noticed anything from these large sports organizations like especially like if a player drops that's a huge like that's a money issue for these giant NFL yeah. teams. Like yes. that this is yes. these people are right. insured. Have you noticed that any yeah. of these teams or sports organizations are taking any steps that might mitigate what they're saying the actual issue is? Like are they doing anything so that's that, a great that question? Into what, the whether, issues? So, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. So well. if I were in the NFL, if I were a doctor in the NFL, what I would do would be we're not going to answer the question what's causing it. We got to make sure it doesn't happen to our guys. So I would right. start doing MRI scanning 
But the problem we would get into then is that you you detect people that looked like they had myocarditis that didn't. That you, and then it's, they it's lose too, their livelihood. Well, and then we would need, no, we need to figure out some sort of follow-up procedure. I mean, do we do cardiac biopsies? I mean, what do we do? You can't give them we blood put thinners. People, put people on arrhythmia. You know, what do you do with this situation to mitigate if you do see somebody that might have an issue? So screening for this issue, it's, MRI is not a good screening instrument for myocardial scarring or myocarditis. So I, I would get together a team of cardiologists and figure out what we do and we would do something. But it, but it would be more than they're doing now because they this is not something that they've been prepared for in the past. I'm not familiar at all with sports medicine, but do you think it could possibly be something where they may not want to know the answer to this quite yet until they have a solution to it because of what that you know, might the, mean the, for insuring the, their players or anything like that? Not so much insuring their players, playoff. but but sidelining side people that they really don't want to sideline, you know, and right. players Somebody don't want to be sidelined. Somebody brought that up the other day. It, it goes deep. It, it, a it's a problem. It's a problem. But, it, it, but I think you've got to put safety as the first priority. And if right. you're doing that, then you're going to just manage everything else. You have to just deal well, with everything you, else. Well, right. then you might lose half your team. No, it's not going to be like that. It's not <laughs> right. like that. I want to talk about tomorrow for a minute. Tomorrow, I have Dr. Lee Never Mei Yan. She, I heard her on a Twitter Spaces. I thought she had some fascinating insights. I want to hear what she has to say. I don't know how reliable what she's going to tell us is, but she has some extraordinary stories to tell from working in labs in Wuhan, China. She was there. She was um, taken to task by the Chinese government. And she seems to be uh, unyielding in her criticism as a result. And so I, I, Susan's been very concerned about this particular topic for a while now. And so I thought this would be an interesting woman to bring in here. We, and, I love and, Chinese whistleblowers. And, and either this will settle Susan down a little bit or send no, her to the moon. No. So one of the others is going to happen <laughs> tomorrow. That'll be at 3 o'clock, uh, and we'll take your calls as well, and there'll be a Twitter space as well. So we appreciate you guys being here today. Today was a little bit different kind of a, a show. We obviously wanted to – this thing has been in the news, and we had an opportunity to talk to Jonathan. We thought we would take that opportunity. And then I had some stuff I wanted to get off my chest, as I, as you've heard. Uh, and I'm willing to review. We all like some it of that when you tomorrow. do that. Well, I just been it's been ruminating in my head all weekend. People We're are giving... reading. I'm sick of people reading my mind and saying yeah, what I, I said. I said because you read my mind. That's disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself. I know. That. I was sitting next so, to you. All right. So anyway, um, be that as it may, and Caleb has always taught taught me that engagement is good of any kind. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so thank you, Caleb, for making me a little more uh, Teflon <laughs> to this stuff, <laughs> thinking positively about things that are truly just awful. All right, we'll leave it at that. There it is. Also, Paul Alexander coming up this week. I, I really am very interested in talking to him because he was in the room when the social distancing phenomenon was invented. And I want to hear who was in the room, what everybody said. I want to. I was so shocked last time he told us about this. I, I, I was sort of, I was dumbfounded. But now I want to hear exactly what went on. That's with Kelly Victory on uh, Wednesday. And uh, on the 18th, I didn't see who was coming up there on the 18th, but you all saw it. So is it Hamill? Uh, we will just leave it at that. And uh, oh, there Hamlin? comes uh, Stephen Hatfield. Oh, and Hatfield. Ryan Cole coming back on February 1st to give us another autopsy update. He's a, he's a, um, Hatfield? Yeah, he's, he sounds really good. I can't remember. Right. These are, these are, again, with Kelly's recommendation. I'm interested in probing these guys, seeing what's going on. Uh, I'm, they are guests, so I'm just going to listen to what they have to say and then I'm going to assimilate it as I, 
um, often do. So I'm get, I'll get something out of it, I'm sure. But Go uh, say something nice to Dr. Kelly Victory on Twitter. Is that what her Twitter handle is? Mm -hmm. All right, do that, and we'll see you all tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.